0: Turn with me in God's Word to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. And we're reading verses 1 to 12. It's found on page 1114. So last week we started this new series on the Beatitudes, and the Beatitudes demonstrate the values of God's kingdom. And we considered last time the first Beatitude Blessed are the poor in spirit. And here you are to recognize your spiritual poverty, that you're spiritually bankrupt, and you must see your humility. But you also must see that Christ is your king. He has come down to raise us up. He brings you into his kingdom. And so it's his work. You cannot boast. Well, this evening we are coming to the second Beatitudes. Let's read Uh, the whole of these Beatitudes. And as I said last week, it's a good idea uh, to take the time over the next number of weeks to memorize the Beatitudes as we study them. So listen to God's word. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecute the prophets who were before you. The grass withers, the flower feeds, but the word of our God stands forever. Well, I can remember the first funeral that I attended. I was 10 years old, and I was at at the funeral of my great aunt. And this lady lived with my grandmother, so she was, in effect, like a second grandmother to me. And as was typical in those days, funerals in Ireland, funerals were in the home. And, And so the result is the house would be full of people. There'd be people in the living room, there'd be people in the the good room, in the lounge, there'd be people in the hallway, and I was in the kitchen with all of my cousins who were off a similar age, and the minister, he would have to put himself in the middle of the house so that he would try and speak to everyone in the different rooms. And I vividly remember uh, the emotions coming over my cousins and for myself, I did not want to be there. I did not want to see my cousins in their grief. I did not want to see, I did not want to have to try and control my emotions in front of them. It was not comfortable. The sadness was too much. The loss was too great. The death of a loved one, it comes with mourning. And we see mourning in this beatitude this evening. This is another value of Christ's kingdom. But Jesus says something that doesn't make sense. And if it was not for Jesus saying it, you would think it's deeply insensitive. Blessed are those who mourn. Happy are those who are mourning. How can anyone be happy in their grief or in their sadness? And so I want you to notice, do not avoid mourning over your sin. For you are blessed as you mourn, knowing that in Christ you have comfort and you have hope. And children, I encourage you to draw a picture of someone feeling sad. But remember, this person will know God's comfort. So firstly, this world avoids mourning, and you're tempted to do the same. So how do you cope with sin and death? If we were to take our cue from this world, we would simply avoid it. Our world is focused on comfort, on being entertained, on personal happiness. The world lives for the weekend, for holidays, for vacations. We seek to escape reality rather than, take, rather than face it on. And this has even affected how we view death. Just consider funeral services today. They have been transformed from a thanksgiving service for the life of a particular person to a celebration of life, a party, a send-off. No one is allowed to be sad. Everyone is to wear bright colors. There is reluctance to acknowledge the truth that your friend or your loved one, your relative, is no longer present. And we listen to trite phrases like they are always with us. That's simply not true. They're gone. And that's why it hurts. That's why there's a loss. And the right response is to grieve, is to mourn. Death today is considered the last taboo. No one is willing to talk about it. We instead use lots of other phrases, like they passed away, or they're resting in peace, or they have departed, or they've slipped away. And I'm not saying it's wrong to use these words. I use them too. But it's interesting how we even struggle to use the word death we seek to soften it so it's not so stark however the reality is that death is real and it is inevitable for each one of us it's the reality for everyone living in this world and simply putting your head in the sand and pretending that it's not real that's not a good way of dealing with it and yet as christians We are to be ready for death. It should not be a taboo. We should not react in this way. We are to be prepared to die. And that's to be seen practically. You should have your will set up. You should uh, make preparations for what's going to happen to your belongings. Those are things that you should be thinking about. It makes no sense for a Christian to ignore it as if death will never happen. But as well as practical preparations, more importantly, there needs to be spiritual preparations. There will come a day when each one of us will die. And you have to be prepared for what is next. And the Bible helps us understand what is next. We go and meet our creator who is our judge. But he's also our savior. And those he saved, he brings into his kingdom. And those he has condemned, They face his wrath in hell. And the reason we die in the first place is because of sin. Each one of us, we are sinners. There are things that we have done wrong, things that we are not proud of. There are things that we don't do, that we should have done. And we're filled with regret for not doing it. And these are offenses to God. And the Bible teaches us that the wages of sin is death. And so we die as a result of sin. But the concept of sin is something that we're also not comfortable with. So not only does the world avoid death, it also avoids talking about sin. Sin is offensive, and now even the word sin is being changed in its meaning. So sin, rather than being a taboo, is now seen as something naughty, it's something that we laugh at, it's a guilty pleasure. Consider many jokes that are made on the TV. Often they are jokes about sin number of nightclubs, they use the word sin in their name. Las Vegas is known as Sin City. It's a place where you are to have fun. One newspaper ran an article titled The Seven Deadly Sins, and the writer of the article said, in this day and age, sin has lost its sting. A bit of sinning is much more likely to be seen as a spot of grown-up naughtiness, the kind of thing that sends a delicious shockwave through the system. The world's response is not the right response to sin. Jesus is telling you how you are to respond to sin. Sin is serious. So you're not to avoid thinking about it. Instead, you are to mourn over it. And this follows well from the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit. An attitude of humility is to be evident in your life a recognition that you are dependent on God. But as well as this humility, there is mourning for what we do contribute. We contribute our sinfulness. You are to realize that you are sinners and mourn over this fact, mourn over the sins you have committed. So while we mourn over death and we mourn over the sufferings in our life, I believe this beatitude is primarily focusing on the mourning over our sin. And Jesus said, we are blessed for doing so. Well, secondly, you're to mourn over the sin in this world. Well, the past few weeks have been particularly bleak. There was a terror attack by Hamas in Israel, killing over 1,000 civilians, injuring another 5,000 or more, as well as 240 people being taken hostage. And this has led and is really a response to kill Hamas terrorists and remove the threat. And this has also led to thousands of civilians being killed. As well as this, there is a moral confusion of those who are supporting Hamas and speaking favorably of the violence and the bloodshed that they have inside it. Then there is a mass killing in Maine where a gunman killed 18 dead in a bowling alley and a restaurant, including many young people. And then this past week in the state of Ohio, They voted for abortion to become a legal right at all stages of pregnancy. These are sad days. How are you to respond? Well, you are to mourn. It's right to be upset. In response to this evil, in response to sadness, you are to cry out to God. And don't we see this continually in the book of Psalms? The psalmists are crying out to God in the face of evil. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. He's not meaning you are to be emotionally happy, but he's saying the right thing to do is to mourn. John Stott says, some Christians seem to imagine that, especially if they are filled with the spirit, they must wear a perpetual grin on their face and be continuously boisterous and bubbly. However, the Christian life, according to Jesus, is not all joy and laughter. There are times for Christians to mourn. And so when you see the sin in this world, be quick to mourn rather than to ignore it. You are to see this sinfulness as rebellion against God. Too often we are quick to judge or we are quick to excuse. No, the first thing you should do is to mourn over the sin. This is not the way it's meant to be. This is not the way that God created this world. But it's also a reminder that you can't find your happiness in this world. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this saying condemns the apparent laughter, joviality, and happiness of the world by pronouncing a woe upon it. But it promises blessing and happiness, joy, and peace to those who mourn. And in Luke's account of the Beatitudes, we also read of woes. Luke 6, verse 25, woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And so you need to be careful that you're not investing too much in this world and gaining your happiness, that you ignore your sin. And in doing so, you ignore that this world is under curse. This is not where your blessing is found. Yes, you may gain short-term enjoyment, but not long-term blessing. Instead, you are to recognize that this world is under judgment. And Jesus gives us an example when he considered the city of Jerusalem. In Matthew 23, 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you are not willing. Jesus mourned over Jerusalem, over their hardness of heart over their rejection of him, which would lead to their destruction. And this is also true for the world that we live in. Unless his world turns from its rebellion of Christ, they too will know destruction. And so your heart should also reach out like Christ with compassion to tell them off the seriousness of sin. And you demonstrate this when you mourn over the sin of this world. You're showing that sin is an offense to God. Well, thirdly, you're to mourn over the sin found in yourself. This gets closer to home. You're not only to mourn over the sin in this world, but you're to mourn over the sin that's found in your own life. Now, we do need to call out an extreme version of this, a false pietism where we are negative all of the time, where we are pessimistic, Jesus is not calling us to be pessimists here, always thinking of the worst. It's not that we are to go around with long faces all the time. That will not be a blessing to you. It will only lead to despair, no. But you are to be upset over your sinfulness. You're to recognize your own brokenness. And we need to be able to name our sins, our sin, or rather our sins. So what is the sin that you're struggling with? Is it addiction or anger or animosity? Is it anxiety? Is it being negative, being unwatchful? Is it bitterness? Is it boastfulness? Is it closed-mindedness? Is it complaining or covetousness or deception or dissension? Is it the sin of indifference or inflexibility? insincerity, jealousy, a lack of affection, a lack of faith, a lack of forgiveness? Is it lust? Is it a failure to spur others on? Is it a failure to show love? Is it fear, or gluttony, or gossip, or guilt? Is it the sin of hard-heartedness, or hatred, or haughtiness, or a lack of zeal? Is it laziness or materialism, neglecting God's word? Is it prayerlessness? Is it prejudice? Is it pride? Is it purpelessness? Is it rebellion or resentment, or rudeness? Do you struggle with the sin of self-righteousness or selfish ambition? Is it the sin of silence, or skepticism, squandering, of doubt? of ungratefulness, of untruthfulness, of envy, of idolatry, impatience, impurity, vanity. We are all on this list. I'm on it. You're on it. And so we need to recognize our sin. This is not how the world responds to sin. Instead, the world encourages you to excuse your sin. That it's not your fault, it's your genes, it's your parents' fault. It's the environment that you grew up in. It's the fact that you were deprived in some way. They would condemn mourning over your sin as something that's unhealthy. But that can't be right. For If you don't recognize your own sin, your own brokenness, your inconsistencies, your struggles, well then you won't seek a solution to your sin. All you're doing is putting band-aids over the problem, saying it's not that bad, but it really is that bad. That's why it's right to respond by mourning. And it's not simply that you are feeling a disappointment to yourself. No, you are to see who you are before God. God is holy. God hates sin. He cannot look upon sin, and this creates a problem. And it can't be solved by you excusing your sinfulness, now, I encourage you to join with the Apostle Paul. He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And so Paul, he recognized his lost condition. He saw his sin. He saw the consequences for sin is death. But he asked the question, who will deliver him? He's looking beyond himself. And When you mourn for your sin, you are recognizing your fallenness and that you are helpless to do anything about it. This should also be seen in the church. Paul instructed the Corinthian church in response to sexual immorality happening there that they should not be puffed up, but that they should be mourning over their sin. And so as a church, we should be mourning over sin. Mourning not just for our own sin, but we should be mourning for our brothers and sisters who are struggling in sin. It's not right to ignore their sin, nor should we be quick to jump in and condemn and said mourning is the right response. We should also be mourning over the decline of the Christian church, the wider Christian church. The temptation is simply to have pride and think, oh, we are better than other churches. You no know, recognize where sin has crept in, where truth has been compromised, where sin has been tolerated. Mourn over the state of the church for how it is ignoring the seriousness of the guilt of sin. John Stott said, I fear that we evangelical Christians, by making much of grace, sometimes thereby make light of sin. There is not enough sorrow for sin among us. So mourn over the sin that you see in yourself and in our church. Well, fourthly, in your mourning, recognize there is comfort found in Christ. Christ said there is blessing in mourning. What is this blessing? Surely it sounds miserable. No, there is blessing. For when you mourn and sorrow over your sin, it brings you to repentance. And we read of that in 2 Corinthians 7. Paul writes, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly way, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. So godly sorrow brings you to salvation. But if it's only feeling sorry for yourself, well, that produces death. George Whitfield, when he was traveling to the States, he was on board a ship that contained many officers and soldiers. And he took the opportunity to preach the gospel to them. And we read of how many were convicted over their sins and they mourned over them. Whitfield writes, God was pleased to set his seal to my sermon. Many officers and soldiers wept sorely. And a visible alteration was made in the garrison for some days after. Oh, that their convictions may end in their conversion. And so these men, they were convicted over their sins. They felt regret. They felt sorrow for they recognize their guilt before God. And this is true for you when you mourn over your sin, when there is godly sorrow. The comfort for godly sorrow is Jesus Christ. No wonder the prophet Isaiah, in speaking of a coming Savior, described him as one who would comfort his people. He would bind up the brokenhearted. No wonder Simeon looked forward to the consolation of Israel, And when he saw baby Jesus, he was able to say to God, my eyes have seen your salvation. And so in Christ, there is comfort. For through him, you and I, we have salvation from our sins. That doesn't end our mourning. The tense of mourning here is that it is continual. It's constant. And that's because even though we know Christ's forgiveness, we still sin. And so there is to be continual mourning. And so in your sorrow, you are to be repenting of your sin. Duguid expresses it well when he writes, my sin was pounding the nails into his hands. My sin was pressing down the crown of thorns onto his head. My sin was driving his sense of utter abandonment by God. When we realize that, then the knowledge that we sin each and every day becomes something we weep over. Your sin cost Christ his life. But his death and his victory over death is what gives you comfort, even as you mourn. For through it you know the forgiveness that is found in Christ. And the more you see your sin, the more you are to mourn over it. But also the more you are to acknowledge that Christ's death has dealt with your sins. You're not to languish in despair, but you're to know. Christ's comfort. Well, then finally in your mourning recognize there's hope found in Christ. So in the comfort that Christ offers us he offers us hope. And this hope is not only for ourselves but it's for the whole creation. In Romans 8 it speaks of this world groaning. This creation is waiting for the day when it will be delivered from corruption. And so the hope for this world is also our hope. It's found in Christ. And that's because Jesus Christ embodied this beatitude. Isaiah describes him as a man of sorrows who was acquainted with grief. He knew what it was like to mourn. Now he did not mourn over his own sins, for he had none. But he did mourn over the sins of others. He did mourn over the effect of sin in this world. As he stood beside Lazarus' grave, Jesus wept. He mourned the brokenness of sin. This was not the world that he had created. He mourned at how sin can cause brokenness and loss. But in the case of Lazarus, he brought him back to life. He turned the mourning of Mary and Martha into joy. He turned his own mourning into joy. This is a glimpse of what he will do when he returns to this world. He will remove sin. And so remove the consequences of sin so that there will be no more death. This is a hope that you have to look forward to. And we read of this in Revelation 21. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Jesus has promised you that in glory, sin will be no more. And so your mourning will be over. That is what you have to look forward to in heaven. So this week, when you sin, and you will, take time to mourn over your sin. Don't ignore it. Don't excuse it away. But also don't, think, just don't simply think that God has that covered by his grace. No, consider the offense of your sin. Repent of it. Turn away from it. Put it to death. Replace it with good fruit. But know the comfort that you have because of Christ's forgiveness. And also recognize the hope that you have for one day Christ will remove sin completely. So do not avoid mourning over your sin. For you are blessed as you mourn, knowing that in Christ you have comfort and you have hope. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father God, we find it so easy to excuse our sin, to not take our sin seriously. And so Lord, help us to mourn over our sin, that we would see it as offensive to you, That we would see the seriousness of it. For sin is deserving of judgment. And so we thank you for how Christ has taken that judgment on himself. We thank you for the comfort that we have when we mourn. For in Christ there is forgiveness. And we thank you that in Christ there is hope. He will remove all sin, all sorrow, all suffering. And so Lord, help us to live out this kingdom value. And that we would know your blessing as a result. We ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, please turn the blue psalm book to Psalm 32a. Here in this psalm, we see an example of mourning for sin and repenting of that sin, but then knowing the blessing of forgiveness. So, let's stand as we sing Psalm 32.